1: Hi, I'm Bobby, and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. So we are officially in the hustle and bustle of the holiday season. Things are kicking off, families coming into town, we're all just getting prepped, but there's also just a lot going on in the world right now. So this week we are going to take it a little bit easy and we're going to pivot a little bit. We're going to try something different. So. Y'all know me as your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture and this is true, but there are a lot of things that I have not seen and as an adult now I am, you know, discovering for the first time or finally getting myself acquainted with uh, for the first time. So this week I thought we would do the first and perhaps only because we know how it goes with me in series when it comes to the podcast. Uh, but the first edition of something that I'm calling "Misconnections," uh, which is essentially a, uh, a a series where I come and I tell you uh, about something that I saw that I know that I should have definitely seen by now, and I just give you my thoughts. So, if that sounds good to you, let's get started. <music> So, as you can probably tell from the uh, title of this week's episode,, uh, the thing or the movie that I watch for the first time, ever is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Now, I do want to give some context to what i why I've come up with this little uh, series uh, misconnections and kind of the the basis for it. So, I I love pop culture. You all know this. I love it dearly. I feel like I know a lot about it. I like history-wise, I feel very confident in my ability um to to speak on pop culture from a historical perspective. But to give a little bit of perspective into my history, I did not necessarily like grow up in a super big like movie household. Like in my adult life, I I found that a lot of people have, you know, like, you know, like they grew up in movie families where they would go to the movies a lot, kind of like as a unit and, you know, would watch a lot of new things like as a as a group and everything like that. And that's not quite what my family is. And I'm not saying this in like, oh my gosh, woe is me. I didn't grow up in a movie family type of thing. It's just that just wasn't how we, we bonded as as a family. So a lot of my my movie journey, my, my TV journey, my pop culture journey has been me finding the different areas <laughs> where I would like to, you know, watch or indulge in or whatever it is. It's been a lot of, it's just, it's, just, it's been self-guided. I've been guiding myself for the, the most part, you know, like when I say, for instance, when a movie like Scott Pilgrim, uh, came out, I was 11 and, you know, I maybe saw the the trailers or anything like that, but I wasn't going like no one was taking me to go and see Scott Pilgrim or anything like that. Like a lot of my movie journey has been me kind of piecemealing together um, what I liked and, you know, discovering cinema very much uh, kinetically almost like I felt like I was like trying to find my way and trying to, you know, traverse a terrain that was very new and very different. Um, and like I said, this isn't to say that like my family didn't introduce me to movies or TV shows or that we didn't watch things together, um, because we definitely did. But I, like I said, I found like when I talk to friends or anything, they're like, oh, I had like a brother or like an older sibling or an older cousin or an aunt or an uncle or whoever, you know, mom, dad, who was big into movies and would introduce them to a lot of things. So I just wanted to give that's the basis of what i, I i'm thinking uh misconnections is is about so now in my you know adulthood i'm going back and i'm finding these things that i haven't seen and the list is long you know the list the list, the list is a little lengthy so this sh- should be a very long <laughs> series. Um, but like I said, this week I watched Scott Pilgrim versus the world for the very first time. It was a movie that had been on my radar for a very long time. I think it is one of those movies that, um, I would say is a cult classic. Like I know cult classic is a word. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that I hate when publications anyone misuses the term cult classic because the confines of the word are very specific and whenever I see someone saying like oh like Shrek is a cult classic no it's not Shrek is not a cult classic but I would say Scott Pilgrim versus the world is a bit of a cult classic it has a very big Impact, I think, on Gen Z, especially, like it, you know, ostensibly, a lot of members of of Gen Z and like younger mem- younger millennial members and millennials in, in general, that would have been the kind of target audience uh, for that film. And when I was younger, I thought it was a lot more adult than than it is watching it now. Like it's this movie is relatively tame. Like they don't really do a whole lot of cursing. Um, the most adult thing about it, I guess is the, the combat and the fighting. But other than that, like it was relatively tame. So I definitely could have watched this when I was 11. Um, but I watched it now at 25. So I'm, uh, let's, let's dive into it. Let's talk about it. So I've made a little bit of a list here to keep myself organized. Uh, this is going to be very off the cuff. So if you're thinking that there's going to be a ton of insight in the way of, you know, research or anything like that. That's not quite what this episode is. Uh, This is solely just, I have watched it and now I'm telling you what I think about it. Uh, So number one, the cast. My goodness, I did not realize how stacked this cast was. Like I knew who was in it, but it was like one person after another popping up on the screen. And I was like, what? Who's who of Hollywood this is? this is quite quite the situation where are you all coming from like it was just one person after another coming into frame and I'm like what what's happening just from the core the core members of the cast Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead Kieran Culkin Anna Kendrick Brie Larson Aubrey Plaza um Chris Evans like Jason Schwartzman May Whitman, so many people, and then Bill Hader as the as the voice. He's like the narrator. I was blown away. I'm not sure. I would have to kind of like sit and think about it. But timeline wise, it feels like maybe not for for Michael Sarah and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, um, and maybe Karen Copeland. But it, it just feels like all of these people that I just mentioned now, like after this movie, really took off and and blew up. Obviously someone like Chris Evans, he had been in like two Fantastic Four movies. He was on the precipice of being in Captain America. So clearly a lot of these like cast members were established. This isn't to say that they weren't, but it's just crazy to see where they are now. Like these are established A-listers that were all in this movie at the same time. And I think it's just, it was insane. It was blowing my mind as I was, as I was watching it. I was like, this is a stacked cast. This is an ensemble. Like when we say an ensemble cast, this is what that is. And I feel like that's very indicative of the time because in and around this time, we Hollywood loved an ensemble cast. I'm thinking of those like that series of not at all connected, but like basically the same movie in different fonts, ensemble cast movies that were like Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve and like they were just movies about holidays (laughs) that just starred a bunch of people that you knew in loosely interconnected stories that really didn't mean all that much. It were pretty non-consequential. And they were just like fun little romps. Like that's the vibe that I get from like late two thousands, early twenty tens. It was just throwing a bunch of people that you know into a movie and seeing what shakes now i feel like scott pilgrim is a little bit of a different story because it does feel like everyone who's in this movie is well cast i don't think that anyone is in this movie and feels out of place you know what i mean so cast amazing i was i was i was floored by that i knew again i knew these people were in this movie but it wasn't until you see them all on the screen together that you're like okay whoa you know so leaving out of the the cast for a second and jumping into the movie itself, um, I did not realize how much of a loser Scott was. Like Scott Pilgrim is a loser and I can prove it, you know, like <laughs> Scott Pilgrim is a loser. And I truly was not expecting that again. Now, mind you, I, I went into this completely blind. I didn't really know anything about the story other than the fact that you know Scott wants to get with this girl Ramona and he has to fight her evil exes in order to, to start any type of courtship with Ramona that was my understanding of the movie going in but then when i actually saw that they open up the film spoilers if you haven't seen Scott Pilgrim versus the world but i think I'm, I'm i think i'm the last person on earth who mayhaps hasn't seen it um they open up the movie by revealing row Scott Pilgrim is dating schooler she's 17 knives knives we're gonna get to knives don't worry we are gonna get to knives but scott is 22 and is dating a high schooler who was 17 pretty big loser behavior he's a loser to his bandmates one of which who he dated (laughs) who hates his guts um and he's a loser to his roommate Wallace, played by Kieran Culkin, we will get to him because I love Wallace. Um, He's a bit of a loser to his sister Anna Kendrick. Uh, He's a loser to really everyone else, but Knives. Knives is the only one who thinks that he hung the moon, and I found that to be so interesting. I think a character like Scott Pilgrim is like unassuming, unassumingly. I won't say outrightly dangerous but there is an element of Scott's character that lends itself to being dangerous because he he has the kind of the good guy effect where he's not like on the surface super you know like machismo and like I'm a I'm a guy you know like outrightly mean like maybe some of the exes like Lucas or whatever but he still like doesn't treat the people that he calls himself being in relationship with either knives or ramona. All that well. He's still not a good partner in a lot of ways. Um and I don't know. I just thought that that was so fascinating. That was one of the biggest surprises of the movie to me and maybe it is not all that much of a surprise to you. Maybe you are a lot smarter than me and went into this movie knowing that uh, Scott Pilgrim was a loser, but I didn't know that. And I was I was shocked. And there were so many instances where I was like, yeah, no, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can totally. I can totally see that for sure. For sure. Very big loser energy happening right here. Definitely could see that. So I thought that was fascinating. Now, moving to knives. Speaking of knives, 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 chow, you deserve better. You deserve better. Knives, I need you to gather your things because we're going to we're going to find you a home. We're going to get you out of there. That was not the place for you. It was Baffling! It was baffling. I was shocked. I was shocked with a capital S at just how many ways Knives was failed throughout that film. (laughs) Like it, I was. Oh my gosh! So we start off at the beginning. She's dating Loser Scott, right? So that's already bad enough. Knives is very much a teenager. She is very much impressionable, and you can really see hopefully by this time we probably by the time this podcast episode comes out it won't be up yet but i've um i've have a video that i'm planning to post that talks about a very specific sequence of scenes um that really show just how different scott acts between ramona and and knives and really how the dynamic of scott being an adult and um knives being 17 and a teenager and a high schooler how that relationship is is shown and then how scott acts with someone who is in and around his age i.e ramona um it was the scene that really kind of like showed and exposed the dynamics of their relationship is the scene when they're in the arcade and um They're playing the kind of like dance dance revolution style game and he's talking about um Pac Man. He's sharing like uh it originally like means like Paku Paku, which means like flap of the lip or something like that. But when he's explaining it to knives, he is so like confident he doesn't like, you know, Stutter or anything like he is very much like sure of himself in that moment, and he feels very confident. And there's a bit of a bravado when he's explaining this to her. And once he's done explaining it, knives goes like, "Oh my god, wow!" And then a couple scenes later, Scott tries to do the same thing with Ramona, and he's stumbling over himself. He's not very confident. And then by the end of it, Ramona is just like, "Cool, great," she doesn't care. She doesn't care. She's not going to be swayed by, you know, this kind of ancillary information or whatever. And I just thought that that was so interesting to kind of expose those two different relationship dichotomies and how Scott functions within within both of them. But yeah, Knives, you deserve better, sweetie. The fact that in the scene with Envy um, Adams, which we will get to her because I was expecting more of Brie Larson in that movie than I got um but it is what it is but the scene where they're all sitting like backstage after the concert um Uh, after Bree's band performs and they're like backstage Knives is the only one who gets hit by that guy the vegan guy and he literally hits her so hard he knocked the highlight out of her hair it was like one thing after another after another after another with Knives then to get to the end where she comes and is fighting Ramona. And she's just like, you stole Scott from me. Like you're slut, you're this, you're that. And I'm like, Knives, no, baby girl. No, <laughs> no, fight Scott. The enemy is Scott. Get him. It's him. Get him. Get him. I was, Knives, you deserve better. And I've, I've been told that in the new Scott Pilgrim TV show. I think it's Scott Pilgrim like takes off. I think it's on Netflix. Um, Knives gets so much more and she, her character is filled out so much more and I'm so excited to watch it. Um because I, I I can see the potential of the character. And I think that's a a bit of a critique of the film. It's just that a lot of the, the women in the film just do feel like set pieces in a lot of ways just means to an end or are very kind of just, I won't say fully one dimensional because I do think there is, they are still interesting characters, but there feels like there's a bit of a wall that they hit as far as being able to be filled out and having an actual you know, like arc and having this like revelation moment that characters like Scott gets. Ultimately, it is it's you know it's Scott's story, whatever. But you know, there there were moments where I was like, there could have been a little bit more development here. Um, but it seems like in the TV show that is definitely um, something that that happens. And I'm also I've been told that the the comics is also kind of rounds out the characters a lot more too. So it may just be the constraints of a movie where you you can't tell you know a a a long full story that like eight volumes of a comic book could you know what I mean? Um, so it's just one of those things. So moving on to the woman of the hour, which I t- <laughs> I tweeted this literally after watching the movie. I was like, it is so good that I watched Scott Pilgrim versus the World at twenty five. And not at 15. Because if I would have seen this movie when I was 15, I would have made Ramona Flowers my entire personality. I watched this movie and I was like, Ramona is so cool. <laughs> She's so cool. I fully, again, this is, you know, something that I thought before having seen the film, I thought that Ramona was manic pixie dream girl because again around that time in and around that time the trope of the manic pixie dream girl hadn't quite phased out yet there were still like kind of like like ramblings of that character trope and i think maybe by her look maybe just by you know really how scott treats her and sees her like i was so sure i was like already preemptively rolling my eyes and being like oh boy here comes another manic pixie dream girl whatever it is but then, when I watched the film, I'm happy to admit that I was wrong. Ramona really is just minding her business. Like he, Scott is the one, and this is oftentimes the the problem with the manic pixie dream girl trope is that because these stories often tend to be told from the you know male love interest perspective it is the the male character more often than not who is imposing this manic pixie dream girl idea onto this regular woman who's just trying to do her thing and live her life and that's what Ramona was doing like Scott ordered whatever off of Amazon in 2010 which you know that was that's a commitment in that time He orders something off of Amazon because he knows that she works for Amazon and he knows that she would deliver it to him. And he sits by the door waiting and he constantly is dreaming about her and constantly it's just like he's doing all this pining and then he tells her like, oh my God, you know, were you in my dream? I saw you in my dream and like he's making her seem like, this otherworldly figure, and she's truly just living her life. Like, she shows up to the door to deliver his package, and she's just like, okay, you just, you have to sign for this. Is this yours? Like, and he's trying to make it like this, oh, you know, we have this connection because you are my dream, and she's just like, I'm doing my job, which is so often the case uh, with, with women in the field. They are just doing their job. They are not here to fulfill whatever weird fantasy you have. Now, I don't think Ramona is perfect as a character within the story because I think the same thing that happens to Knives, a similar thing happens to her where you hit a wall with her, her arc and the end of the film feels a bit, I won't say unearned, but it just feels a little bit like I mean, okay, you know, like you're, you kind of, you buy the ending. It's not egregiously bad. I wasn't, I didn't get to the end of the movie and I was just like, well, that doesn't make sense. But I was just more so like, oh, I wouldn't have done, I don't, I don't know if I would have done that. Like personally, I think with the journey that Scott went on and Knives went on and um, Ramona went on, I would have much rather no one ended up with anyone. I think they all just kind of needed to part ways and you know go on their own and be their own people and meet new people um i don't think they really just needed to be connected romantically in any way um i think ramona needed to go work on herself and i think that's what she was doing but work on herself and know that she is not this you know this dark cloud she's not this problem you know she's not this black sheep were to envy Adams, Um, but she can move forward just living her life and trying to find who Ramona is. And I understand that, you know, it's the studio film. And so if there's any inkling of a romantic tie, you got to wrap that, that thing up in a bow and have the two people end up in a relationship. But I just personally felt like they could have maybe not ended up in a relationship. And I think Ramona could have done her own thing. Scott could have done his own thing and they could have been friends or something. I don't know, but that's besides the point that's very ancillary stuff but i thought ramona was just the coolest i like that she changed her hair every two weeks because honestly same like we it's just so crazy how much (laughs) ramona and i have in common you know like i was i just was wild i was just like wow like it's so crazy how similar we are anyways (laughs) um I I love Ramona's character, and honestly, she was played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, so there was really no way that I wasn't going to think that she was the absolute coolest. And lastly, to round out the characters bit, I, like I mentioned before, I thought that there was going to be significantly more Brie Larson than what I got. And I thought that there was going to be significantly more Black Sheep than what i got in this film they at a certain point before you get to the them like actually seeing the band playing the song you hear the instrumental for the song the like you hear it in the background when scott and knives are in the record shop and i was like okay you know we're getting there they're about to play the song and then they get to the scene where they you actually see brie larson as nb adams singing the song And then it's like five seconds and I need y'all to know. I hate when that happens. The only other time that I can remember when such a thing has happened is with Land of a Million Drums from the Scooby-Doo 2002 soundtrack. Best song on the soundtrack. They play 2.5 seconds of it in the film. 2.5 seconds. When they land at Spooky Island, you hear a smidgen, a crumb, a crumb, a land of a million drums, and then they, they play it out. And this exact same thing happened in this film. When will, I, when, when will it be my turn to be happy? Play more of the song, please. I beg, please. That's all I'm asking. Don't give me such a good song and then don't play a lot of it. That's all I'm saying. So, um, as we start to kind of wrap up on my, my thoughts on this, I thought that I would be searching for things to say about this movie, but I very easily cleared 25 minutes talking about this film, um, because I really, I just enjoyed it. Um, my favorite main characters, but you don't see them as much as I thought, uh, hands down was Wallace Wells played by Kieran Culkin. I think I can't help but fall for Kieran Culkin in pretty much anything that I've seen him in, uh, which has now been two things. Um, this movie and Succession. And he plays two very different characters, though it's still got that like Kieran Culkin vibe to it. The very dry, very sarcastic um, thing that I loved Wallace. I thought he was so funny. I liked him being the, the voice of reason when he needed to. I liked him being the the kind of catalyst, the driving force when he needed to, like every time Scott went to go fight in Evil X, I like that it was Wallace being like, yeah, fight, kick his ass. <laughs> like I appreciated that that was the, the place that Wallace held. And I appreciated that it was Wallace who told Scott, hey, you don't need to be trying to entertain Ramona. Um, and still keeping knives on the back burner like you need to break up with her you need to untether her you need to let her go if you're going to pursue Ramona also you just need to let her go in general because she is in high school um but I appreciate that Wallace Wells was the voice of reason in a lot of ways and he was a bit of a messy bitch as Scott says um I don't know I like that he was always calling (laughs) Anna Kendrick's character (laughs) And just was just like you know me, I'm always gonna tell your business, Scott. Like I appreciated that, and I I saw myself, I saw a little bit of myself in Wallace Wells, and I thought that was very funny. But like I said, he's he was my favorite of the kind of more supporting characters. But literally everyone in this movie, they may not have been on screen a ton, like not as much as obviously Michael Sarah as as Scott, but. They made the most of their screen time, and it was so fun. And it was just, it was. I I laughed the whole way through. I wasn't like belly laughing the whole way through, but it was a lot of like, uh-huh, like that was funny. Like it was just a lot of very comical moments. It's got that very, you know, late two thousands, early twenty tens humor to it. That that vibe where you may not be like laughing out loud, but it's a lot of more sarcasm, dry humor witty type of vibe and that's very much my my brand of comedy lastly to wrap things up my favorite thing about this movie beyond the characters beyond the story was the look and feel of it oh my gosh i (laughs) i was telling a friend that i watched this movie last night and i literally said this movie's visuals singed my eyebrows off like it felt like a journey like a visual journey that i was going on it felt like being put in a video game and the story is not about a video game but the feel and the look and the sound like it felt very it felt very video game it felt very internet like the that sound that like um kind of like apple mac sound that usually would come from um Kim that she would make when she was kind of like being deadpan or being like you serious it would just be like that sound I don't know how to describe it um but if you have uh I think it's it comes from like a mac computer when it like you're not able to click something like something is not clicking um that sound that it makes but I love the look and feel the production design the visual effects they were all so cool the stunt choreography was so fun and Where I thought the story might have lacked and the pacing might have been a little bit inconsistent, the visuals kind of carried me through. I liked it. it Really, the the movie had me from the onset with the 8-bit Universal logo and theme music. I was like, oh, I'm in. And I love a movie that does that. I love a movie that can immediately take you by the shirt and be like, come into this world with us for, you know, 90 minutes to, you know, two hours or whatever. Like, you may not have fun from start to finish, but we're going to have a good time together. Like, it felt like being in this world that, like I said, it felt very video game. It felt very um, internet, computer, just all of that cyber like it felt very cyber in a lot of ways um i like that there was this kind of through line of the the dance dance revolution style game that they play um mixed with kind of like a mortal combat type of thing and it was like i don't know i i just thought it was really really awesome and i think you know as i get more into the scott pilgrim universe of of media i think that this franchise really takes advantage of every single medium that it shows up in so it feels like from what i understand with the comic books it really takes advantage of rounding out these characters and giving them these arcs and really just deeply exploring the, the full breadth of these characters and then taking that leap from page to screen with film and really taking advantage of like how a movie like this could work in a film landscape and really making it fun and honoring different other like mediums like video games and you know like arcade games and things like that and making it feel like its own thing like it just feels i think in i was when i was reading up on the film they call it like um like what's it transmedia narrative where it's kind of being able to traverse through different uh media landscapes and tell this story and it functions so well and it's just so brilliant um and then from what i understand with the tv show also takes advantage of the medium of television like it doesn't overstay its welcome it you know shorter episodes for a a season telling a different story exploring the characters in a different way it really feels like the Scott Pilgrim universe really just has a very keen understanding of how the story and the world and its characters can function in these different um media and different like across media and across mediums And it is, it's the coolest thing to me. And I love that type of storytelling and I love that type of narrative form um, because it's just so fun and it lends itself to so much. And there's so many ways to explore the universe. And I had a very fun time. This was something that um, I don't really have a rating system uh, for any of these misconnections, but I would say... If I, like, ranking it for myself as a adult, I'm giving it a 5 out of 5. And I think if I watched it when I was 11, uh, when it came out, I think I would also give it a 5 out of 5. I think this this satisfied both pieces of me (laughs) when it comes to to the the watching, the watch experience. But I had a fun time. I don't think the movie is, is totally perfect, but I also don't think it needed to be, and I would absolutely, I'd absolutely watch it again. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode afternooners if you don't know the afternooners is my name for all of us so if you made it to the end of this episode congratulations you're an afternooner now if you like this episode don't forget to rate and review this podcast if you had a good time and helped out the pod you get to tell me how you're feeling about the pod and i get that sweet hit of praise and validation that is my life force and keeps me going If you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at the afternoon special on TikTok or Instagram or over on Twitter at Hi, I'm Bobby, H I I M B O B B I. And if you're thinking, Bobby, I need to go and listen to Black Sheep from the Scott Pilgrim vs. the world album on repeat for like 10 hours. I'm not gonna remember all of that, bestie. I'm right behind you, first of all. And I've left all that information in the description down below just for you. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed this week's chat and that you'll join me again next week for another pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends.
0: The headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.
1: Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs?